Please open now to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. If you're new to Manoa Community Church, we've been going verse by verse through the book of Hebrews in a preaching series called Faith. And we got to the part in Hebrews chapter 11, it's called the Hall of Faith, where we're looking at all these different characters in the Old Testament, and it's sweeping us through the Old Testament so we can get the scope of our Bibles and see these heroic characters and how their faith exemplifies things that we can mimic in our own lives. Because the author of Hebrews holds up these characters as as people who are uh, living by faith in ways that we can apply today. And last week we got to the section where Moses is introduced and we're doing a mini-series on the life of Moses. Really last week we looked at the parents of Moses and today we now pivot over to the life of Moses as a grown man. He's not a baby anymore. He is 40 years old. And he's got a choice to make to choose whether to remain a prince of Egypt or side with the oppressed people of God. And spoiler alert, as we all know, not only does he side with God's people, but he also becomes their ultimate deliverer 40 years later and brings them out of the land of slavery into and up to the point of the land of promise before Joshua picks things up. But today's sermon is very much focused on the line in the sand, if you will, that moment where Moses had to make a choice and what faith chooses in our lives as well. What will we choose about ourselves and the future for ourselves and our own children? So I've called today's sermon... What does faith choose? And we'll be preaching through verses 24 to 27, but I'll read verses one and two as always to set up the context and then read our important verses 24 through 27 on the life of Moses, what does faith choose? So follow along starting in verse one. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, For by it the people of old received their commendation. Verse 24. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. What does faith choose? Let's pray. Well, Father God, we thank you for the life of Moses. We thank you for this great patriarch who walked by faith and walked away from a life of wealth and influence to a life of hardship. Lord, the life of faith is not an easy choice, but it is the right choice, and it is the rewarded choice, as we'll see in your holy word this morning. And so, God, I pray for each one of us, whatever choices lie before us, Lord, that we would make those choices as faithful Christians, make the faithful choice, make the right choice, and make all of our choices based on faith. May the decisions that Moses made inform our decisions this morning, and ultimately your word. Help us, Lord, to obey and follow you by faith like Moses. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When November 4th, 1922, British archaeologist Howard Carter excitedly wrote across a page of his pocket diary the following, first steps of tomb found. 
The next day's excavation in the valley of the kings of the west bank of the Nile River would reveal a tantalizing entrance. He quickly sent a telegram to Lord Carnarvon, who had been sponsoring his mostly unsuccessful investigations of Egyptian antiques for several years and had reluctantly backed this final season. He wrote in his journal, at last have made wonderful discovery in valley, a magnificent tomb with seals intact. This was the discovery of what we now know as King Tut. I want to put some of the treasures that were discovered in this Egyptian king's tomb on the screen so you could see some of the gold, the silver, the chariots, the furniture, the clothing, the jewelry, All of these possessions, the knives, the gold sandals. Do you see gold sandals buried with King Tut? The Egyptians had great wealth. The Egyptians had great treasures, especially if you were the Pharaoh or related to the Pharaoh. And the Egyptians had a practice of embalming their dead, as we know, and mummifying them and placing them in the tombs with their great wealth and with their great treasures. King Tut was largely forgotten, even by the Egyptians, until we discovered his tomb, because most of the tombs were raided and pillaged and stolen, and this one somehow survived all the ages, largely because King Tut was forgotten. He died at the age of 19, a largely forgettable reign in Egypt. And yet here he was buried with all of the great wealth of the kings of Egypt and sealed to the day about 100 years ago where we discovered this wealth worth millions, really billions of dollars at this point, invaluable, the wealth and treasure of Egypt. Well, as we look at the life of Moses today and see him make a choice, sometimes we can forget just the scale, just the scope just was what was on the line for Moses at this point in his life. As we looked at last week, go back and listen to his faithful parents. There was an edict to kill all the baby boys, but Moses was protected, hidden for three months, put down the Nile, and the princess of King Pharaoh discovers him and raises him in Pharaoh's household. And so he grows up. His mom raises him the first years of his life, nurses him. He's raised with his brother and sister, but then she gives him back to the princess. And he is raised in the rest of his life in a palace, right? Surrounded by gold, surrounded by servants, surrounded by wealth and opulence. And today, the author of Hebrews now fast tracks us from his infancy and childhood all the way to when he was grown up his adult life and says, He chose to walk away from all of that. He walked away from all of that. Why would a man walk away from all of that? Why would we walk away from wealth and treasures and influence? What does faith choose? That is the theme of today's sermon. There's three faithful choices that Moses makes that we're also called to make as believers in Jesus Christ if we're to walk by faith. Because faith is not only something that we believe in, in our minds, faith affects our actions, our will, our choices. Moses walks by faith and he chooses by faith. The three things that Moses chooses, I'll give them to you again on the front end and then go through them slowly. Faith chooses the people of God. 
Faith chooses the treasure of Christ and faith chooses the reward of heaven. Let's look at this first point. Faith chooses the people of God. Verse 24 and 25. I'll reread them. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Faith chooses the people of God. Moses, at this point in his life, is 40 years old, as I said earlier. So he's past his adolescence, his teen years. He's past that college age. I don't know what they did for education in Egypt. He's past his 20s and 30s. I'm 42. I think that's right. I have to check the year. 42, that's right. He's two years younger than me. He's lived a bit of his life in Egypt. And he's had the wind to his back, right? I mean, from his ethnic origins, he's seeing his people according to the flesh. They're the ones out making the bricks, with the straw stomping in the mud every day. They're the one doing the big building projects. And he knows from his mom and his dad and his brother and sister, he knows that that's where he came from. But he's got the nice clothes. He's got the, the sandals made of gold, right? That's where he sits as he looks out over the Egyptian empire, right? He's got the winds to his back. He's got women. He's got opulence. He's got wealth. He's got it all. He's got it all. He's got it made. Not a want or a care in the world. Here's a man 40 years old. He's a prince of Egypt. And that point in his life, he says no to Egypt and yes to the people of God. The circumstances as was read by Eddie in Exodus chapter two are laid out for us in God's word where what would cause him initially to make this choice? I would imagine there was a confliction in his soul throughout his life. This is not who I am. I feel like a fraud. I feel like a phony. This is not really where I belong. And yet, he kept his loyalty on the Egyptian side throughout his early adult life. But there was a breaking point in his life where he saw one of the Egyptian taskmasters beating and oppressing and mistreating one of the Hebrews. And eventually he couldn't take it anymore and he snapped. And he went to this man's defense and out of defending him and protecting him, he attacks the Egyptian and he kills him. He buries him in the sand to cover up what he's done. But he's trying to bring deliverance and protection for these oppressed mistreated brothers and sisters. And in that moment, there is a red line, right? There's a red line where he crossed the line. He moved out of loyalty to Egypt and he chose loyalty to the people of God. As the author of Hebrews said, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. He switched allegiances. He switched teams. He crossed that red line and there was and there is no going back. Pharaoh hears about this. He's furious and he wants him dead. A little scoundrel. 
I saved his life. I raised him in opulence. And he does this to us. He's out of there. And so Moses flees to Midian for another 40 years. He's not 80. He's 80 by the time he comes back to be the deliverer. But at this point in his life, he says, I would rather be mistreated with the people of God than side with Egypt, side with the oppressors, side with those who worship all of these false gods. I would rather represent God and the church and be on his team that have all of this wealth. I choose God and his people over all of this. And then life got really easy for him. No. <laughs> Just come to God and he'll clean up your life and bring it all into order. Then his life went haywire, right? He's running for his life. But I don't believe Moses ever regretted that decision. It was a hard decision, but it was the right decision. The first thing we see of his faithful choices is that he chose the people of God. There's a great quote by Arthur Pink here. He says, the case of Moses exhibits faith as a definite decision of the mind, as an act of the will. As a personal and studied choice, it shows us that saving faith causes its possessor to turn away from godless companions and henceforth seek fellowship with the despised saints of God. He switches teams, he switches allegiances, he chooses the people of God. And before we go to our second and third point, I want to ask you have you switched teams? through your faith in Jesus Christ. Because when we come to Christ, we believe in him with our mind, like Moses believed that there was one God, not all this pantheon of gods of Egypt. He probably believed that. But it really wasn't until he crossed that red line, said, I've decided to side with the people of God. I'm choosing the church, not the world. He crossed over and he burned that bridge. There was no going back. That's when you know that you truly are walking by faith, amen? Faith makes a decision to choose the people of God. Teens, we prayed about it already, but you're gonna have a choice when you go to college because you're surrounded by the people of God now, right? But when you go to college, your whole network's about to change. And right now, your mom and dad reward and celebrate your faith. You go to your first class, and they tell you the Bible's a bunch of contradictions not to be trusted, right? And your friends are going to say, you believe in Jesus? <laughs> what are you going to choose as you grow from adolescence to adulthood? The faithful choice, the Christian choice, is to choose the people of God. My testimony, I came to Christ at the end of high school. Many of you heard it. So I chose Jesus. He chose me, right? And I moved from thinking of church as being lame to something I wanted to give my life to. And sometimes, by the way, the church can be a little lame. We got to fix it, right? Like there's sometimes things that we do that are wrong, but I still love the church, right? Even in all of her brokenness, even when they were still slaves, Moses loves the church and he goes for her and rescues her. And so I gave my life and I went to Drexel University and the first thing I did is I looked for the people of God. I looked for the campus ministries. I looked for a church, for a community to belong to. I wanted to identify with the people of God. And one of the ways that you know that you're saved 
is that you're willing to identify with God's people not only on Sundays here, but out there, right? Not only college campuses, how about at work? Do your coworkers know that you are a Christian? Do your neighbors, do they know what you believe? Doesn't mean you have to bang them over the head with the Bible every day, but do they know? Do they know where your allegiance lies? Do they know to whom you belong to? Where are your greatest loyalties in this world? If they are not to God's people, then you've misplaced your loyalties. They're not even first to our nation. We have Christians across in other nations that are more my brother and sister than my neighbors who don't know Jesus, right? Our allegiance, our faith chooses first the people of God. Moses crossed that red line, no turning back. May we do the same, amen? Faith chooses the people of God. Secondly, faith chooses the treasure of Christ. Faith chooses the treasure of Christ. I'll reread the first part of verse 26. He considered the reproaches of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Who? Moses considered the treasures, the reproaches of Christ, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt? That's right. Hey, author of Hebrews, I think you got your chronology wrong. Jesus wasn't born yet, right? Oh, no, no, no. When you bump into these verses, you realize they read their Old Testament in a different way than some of us who like to chop, chop, chop it up into different dispensations. No, no, no. He says, Moses looked forward to Jesus. And by the way, Abraham did as well. They all looked forward to Christ. Because whether we look back to Jesus or they look forward to him, all of our hope is in God's anointed one that he would raise up to deliver God's people. They were believing the promises of God as they came to him that through the seed of Mary, or excuse me, through the seed of Eve, right, the serpent crusher would come and also through the Abraham seed, all the nations would be blessed. They're seeing this fulfilled and they're looking to Christ and they place their hope in Jesus in the Christ just like we do. They're justified by faith, just like we are. And the author of Hebrews here says that Moses, what does he do? He considers the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Greater wealth. Christ is more precious to him than all the treasures of Egypt. Now, we looked at some of the treasures of Egypt. They looked pretty cool, didn't they? <laughs> I was trying to do some number crunching on King Tut's wealth there. In 1922, they estimated the wealth around $26 million. I mean, really, it's priceless, but that was 100 years ago. I don't know what inflation has done to that number, right? $26 million. So that's in the billions, if not trillions today. The gold, the silver, the jewelry, the furniture, the clothing, the chariots, the on and on and on. Moses looked at that treasure and the wealth, the treasure of Christ, and he says, I choose Christ. I choose Christ, not because I should, because it's the right Christian Boy Scout thing to do. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, no, I choose Christ because he's greater. He's better than that. He's more glorious. He's more precious than that. So if our first point has to do with God's people, right? It's horizontal, right? 
Look around the room. This is God's people. For better or for worse, here we are, right? This is us, right? These are the people of God, not just at Manoah, all around the world who call on the name of the Lord, right? So he, he finds allegiance with them. This is the vertical component, right? So he's not just looking and saying, I choose, the, y'all are mine, I belong to you. He looks up to heaven and he says, I choose you and you are more precious and suffering reproach for you is better than having all of these jewels and all of these diamonds and all of this wealth. I find you more valuable than that. I find you more precious than that. Jesus gave us a lot of parables about the kingdom of heaven, right? Some of the famous ones, the, this hidden treasure. Do you guys remember the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price? They come back to back. It's the one-two punch of Jesus, right? So how the parable goes. This man, he, he's walking in the field. He finds this great treasure in the field. It's like, I want that. So what does he do? He goes and sells everything he has to buy the field because if he buys the field, everything in the field becomes his. And so at first he looks silly because he's buying real estate, but he knows exactly what he's doing. He gets rid of everything because he gets the treasure. It's the same thing in this pearl of great price. He gives out everything so he can have that pearl. Now he's using this language of jewels and treasure again to tap into this very same thing. But here's the point. He says, the kingdom of heaven, God, a relationship with him is like this, that, that the very same impulse to say, I wish I had King Tut's stuff, that's just, that's just like a, a, a trash heap compared to Jesus. That's like nothing compared to Jesus. He says it's greater wealth to have Jesus than that. Because he doesn't buy the field looking like an idiot. He buys the field looking like a genius. And that is what the author of Hebrews is trying to say is the wealth of Egypt versus the wealth of Christ. There is no comparison. The things that dazzle us as Americans might not be chariots anymore. <laughs> might be our neighbor's car, right? <laughs> the next electric car is coming out and I, you know. And there's nothing wrong with possessions, by the way. You know, as I was studying this text, one of the intriguing things to think about is Joseph, Joseph got to keep all the wealth, right? <laughs> so why is Moses considered faithful for leaving Egypt and Joseph considered faithful for staying? Go back to our first point, because it's the key to understand it. The people of God. Joseph is in a position of prominence and power to protect the people of God, right? So once again, that's our litmus test. So this sermon is not about, therefore, give everything away. That makes you into a good Christian. No, it's about aligning yourself so that your influence in this life aligns to advancing the cause of Christ, protecting the people of God, and worshiping and seeing Jesus as more precious. Amen? Like Queen Esther, she had that crown on her head for a reason, right? To protect the people of God. Daniel was in a position of power for a reason, to help the people of God. So whether you are poor or rich, you can glorify God insofar as your loyalty is first to the people of God and your heart is not wrapped up in the money, but your heart uses it to advance the cause of Christ and make much of Jesus, amen? 
They used these positions, these influence, and sometimes they had to run from the wealth. Sometimes they had to use the wealth, but it was always for the glory of God and it was always for the people of God. Amen? Faith chooses the people of God and faith also chooses the treasure of Christ. I was thinking about the eyes of faith versus the natural eyes. Because our natural eyes see things. I mean, we looked at that treasure earlier. It's, it's impressive, right? It looks good. I mean, especially when they cleaned it all up and the gold really sparkled and the jewels, you know, like, whoa. And I think God even uses the book of Revelation to say, hey, heaven, the streets are made of gold, right? Pearly gates. Our hearts are drawn to treasure. And yet, the eyes of faith can look through the outer natural and see what is really valuable. I think of the difference between Lot and Abram. Do you remember when Lot and Abram had to choose which land they would go to? Lot had the eyes in the natural. He looked over to Sodom. He said, that looks good. That looks really good. In fact, Sodom looks kind of like Egypt. I'll choose that. And we know where Sodom ends up, right? Fire, brimstone, all fallen. Like, it is destroyed because he's looking only on the outward appearance. When he gets there, it is a corrupt area. Abram chooses the area the land of promise. He chooses Canaan. When you look at the world, when you look at possessions, when you look at all of this, it's not to say that good, cool things aren't cool, that nice cars aren't nice, but what is most precious to you? Are God's promises most precious to you? Is Jesus most precious to you? Would you give it all away if God wanted you to, or would you use it all to advance the cause of Christ? If you had it, when is enough enough? Faith chooses not only the people of God, but the treasure of Christ. Before we go to our third point, I do want to just show you the reproach of Christ in here. I mean, the life of Moses mimics the life of Jesus in some powerful ways. The author, the deacon Stephen, in the book of Acts, picks this up as he's preaching about him. And these parallels where Jesus was rejected, not only by the world, by his own people, right? So was Moses. Remember when Moses sought to deliver this man and protect and rescue him? The next day he goes out to the Hebrews, he's trying to break up a fight. They're not like, hey, our deliverer, thank you so much for protecting our friend the other day. God has clearly sent you. What did they say? Who made you a judge and prince over us? You're gonna kill us just like you killed that other guy? Like, whoa, I thought I chose you guys. I'm rejected by them. I'm rejected by you. I'm rejected by everybody. And so he flees but comes back as the deliverer, the rejected deliverer. And he left his wealth and all of that glory and then he was despised and rejected by men, even those he came to save, right? Sound like any other stories in your Bible? Jesus left the glory of heaven. He left, he didn't need a thing in the world to enter into our world to save and deliver us. The moment he got here, we were like, woo, here comes the deliverer. Despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And yet Jesus persevered just like Moses persevered. And Moses delivered in a little cosmic way down here. Jesus delivers way up here. But it's once again a shadow prefiguring what Jesus has and has come to do for you. He was rejected so that you 
might be saved. The gospel is right in here, and Jesus chose this for the joy set before him. He endured the pain of the cross for you because he got the reward, which is the last piece of this sermon. Faith chooses not only the people of God, not only the treasure of Christ, but faith chooses the reward, the reward of heaven. Let me reread verse 26 with the end on it. He, going back to Moses, considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Why? For, that's the why, he was looking to the reward. Faith chooses not only the people of God, the treasure of Christ, faith chooses the reward. Faith chooses the reward. In this case, he's implying the reward of heaven. I believe there's a contrast between the reward and if you look earlier in verse 25, the fleeting pleasures of sin, right? Things that are fleeting disappear, right? You have them for a little bit and they're gone. Think about Ecclesiastes, right? Vapor of vapor, vanity of vanities. Appreciate that the author of Hebrews is not like, hey, sin never has any fun, right? He's not saying that. Wealth is cool, right? But it doesn't last. Sometimes sin feels good, but it will destroy your soul. It's fleeting. There's pleasure, but you can't just live for pleasure alone. There's a reward that trumps the fleeting pleasure of sin, this eternal reward, fleeting pleasure. Do you see the contrast the author is holding out for us? He says, this will last, this will not. This will last and endure forever. This will not and will destroy your soul. Sin, reward of heaven, he says. Why did he see this as better than the wealth of Egypt? He was looking to the lasting eternal reward. John Chrysostom writes, when heaven was set before Moses, it was superfluous to admire an Egyptian palace. When heaven was set before Moses, it was superfluous to admire an Egyptian palace. And I'll be the first to admit, on the natural, let's just be real here, right? On the natural, Moses looks like an idiot, doesn't he? Let's pull back faith from the equation. Just say, in the natural, you got it all. You got wealth, you got privilege, right? You got influence. You live in a palace. You side with people who don't even like you. And you flee for 40 years. Come back. And they don't say, woo, Moses is back. Thank you. They reluctantly follow him out after all of the plagues and the first thing they do is they start to grumble about that's not good enough food. Where are we gonna get water? And for the next 40 years, an 80-year-old man to 120, he's got the people of God and they are just yipping at his ankles, right? And bark, ah, ah. you can look at him and say, I wish I never crossed that line. <laughs> like, they are such a burden to him and yet he never rejects or regrets the decision that he made. But in the natural, if there is not a reward, you can look and say, if this life is all that there is, I made a dumb decision. 
but this life is not all that there is. And he made the right decision in light of the reward that was held out for him and in light of the presence of God that followed him for those 40 years. He chose the people of God. Christ became his treasure and heaven was his ultimate reward. You know, in Deuteronomy chapter 34, Moses dies at the age of 120, right? Before he gets to the promised land, he doesn't even get to go in. And the author of Deuteronomy writes that they don't even know where he's buried. (laughs) So Moses gets buried and his Burial to this day, I mean, they speculate where it might be, but it's lost, right? We, we don't even know where Moses' body and remains are. Contrast that with King Tut. And you could be tempted to step back and scratch your head and say, God, this doesn't make sense. Why? Why would that happen to Moses versus King Tut? but I want to give you this quote from Leon Morris that I think sets the record straight. Follow along and listen to this. He says, history, history has vindicated Moses. We do not so much as know the name of Pharaoh of his time, and even if we did, he would be of interest to us chiefly because of his link to Moses. Do you follow what he's saying? We don't even know who King Tut is. The Egyptians don't even know who King Tut is. The Pharaoh in your Bible is just listed as Pharaoh. We try to figure out who he is. We're like, we don't even know which Pharaoh that one was is. But if we discovered it, you know what people today would care about? That he knew Moses, not that Moses knew him. Do you see what he's saying? Moses is a giant. We are still talking about you, brother, today. And I'll tell you why. It's not because of the gold. It's because of your faith. His faith has changed the world. His faith has saved God's people. And by the way, in hell, King Tut is not enjoying his treasure. That treasure means nothing. That wealth means nothing. And Moses is enjoying everything. Moses is a genius. It is the smartest thing that you could ever do to choose the people of God. It is the most glorious thing you could ever do to worship the Christ of God. It is the most powerful thing that you could ever do and everlasting. It's the greatest thing you could ever do to choose the reward, the reward, the reward of heaven. What will you choose?